Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Marie Roker-Jones is a social impact startup founder with over 10 years of experience in leading inclusion and belonging strategies. She's had an eclectic work history thanks to her husband's multiple military deployments. The common thread through Marie's work is working toward social good. She's helped tech companies and startups with their diversity hiring goals through veteran and military spouse initiatives and has experience creating reentry programs for underrepresented communities. Currently, Marie is the co-founder and co-CEO of Esteem, a company that's building a space of belonging in tech. She's also the senior editor of The Good Men Project, where she nurtures underrepresented writers and contributors to amplify their voices in the areas of racial and social injustice. She's also the co-founder of Oh Yeah, a social impact startup that supports transitioning veterans and military spouses into tech internships. Marie, welcome to the One Away Show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Brian. It's great to have you. It's been great getting to know you and, and everything you stand for. Uh, Marie, why don't you tell us, uh, what is your one away moment that you want to share with us today? Sure. Um, my one away moment was uh, when I met my previous co-founder um, and uh, she and I built um, o- Oya, which is a social impact startup that really helped veterans and military spouses get internships within the tech industry. And the reason I chose this one away moment is because as a military spouse, a lot of times you feel like you are um, playing second fiddle, you know, to the your spouse who's a veteran or active duty, and you kind of forget who you are and kind of forget yourself. And so um, by meeting Barika, who was my previous co-founder, I really connected with the ability to um, give back to the military community while also helping myself to develop as a leader, to develop as um, someone who is confident in her ability to really um, create impact. So I am forever just grateful for that opportunity and that moment because I feel like it really helped me to develop and become the person I am today. Wow. well, thing one, thank you for sharing. Uh, it's like a big, big learning opportunity for you, and one that shaped you and how you see the world and your perspective. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you. Uh, you said that the military spouse, whether the husband or the wife, mm-hmm. you said they get lost in who they are as people to maybe to support the military member. If I heard you correctly. Yes. Exactly. Can you tell me more about that? I'll give you my example. Um, my husband was deployed five times. So not only are you focused on this person who is basically sacrificing, you know, their life um, in somewhere that's dangerous, but you have to ensure that 
your kids, your loved ones, your family, that everyone else is okay. And so you forget to think about, am I okay? Because Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you are holding it together for those around you. And so it's very easy to forget what your needs are. It's very easy to forget who you are, what your goals are, your, you know, even your ambitious dreams, whatever, because you're constantly in flux. And luckily, we never had to move. And I know that for a lot of the other families, PCS, which means, you know, that they're constantly just moving from sometimes one country to another, it takes a lot out of you and you forget who you are. And sometimes you need something. And that one moment away was what helped me to remember who I am. Five times is a lot. And I, I bet that you, <laughs> you remember each departure vividly and maybe the way you felt at the departure and how you had to conform or make yourself sm- not, I mean, I don't want to read between the lines, but maybe make yourself small and do things that you wouldn't have done typically um, to support, you know, someone, your husband serving the highest honor of our country. So if I can go deeper on this, I'd love to ask you and whatever's comfortable. I mean, when you, uh, when you felt not yourself or or conforming or kind of shaping to what was required to support somebody else, what did that like feel like inside for you? What, what were you wishing you could have done and, how did that make you feel? And then how did you end up kind of grappling slash handling and confronting this with your husband or people around you head on to say enough is enough? <laughs> um, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's no one asked me that. And it's, can you believe that? No one's ever asked me that. Wow. Uh, well, let's, let's dive in if we, if if we can. (laughs) No one's ever asked me, people have asked, are you okay? Or were you okay? But never how I felt. Hmm. And that's so important because I never could give myself enough time to think about how I felt. I think one of the things I definitely felt overwhelmed. And I felt, you know, it's interesting. I felt something different for each deployment. Hmm. So, you know, I think the first one, confused, (laughs) if you ask me, because that was like literally a year after 9-11. So I was really, I was younger. I was confused. I was like, what's, you know, like, what am I, what's happening? And then I think for some of the others, it was kind of, you know what, to be honest, some were resentment. And you know that it's a selfish kind of feeling, but at the same time, you can't help but feel like you just resent the situation, not the person, not the military, but the situation. And you feel like, why am I, you know, for once, can I just be the one that can whine or complain, right? Uh, and you don't get that chance. I don't think you, you, you don't even have the opportunity. You don't have the opportunity to stop and just whine and complain. And I know that there's, people have different misconceptions about military spouses. There, there are so many, and we're not a monolith. So you can never, you'll meet different spouses, whether they're husbands or wives that are 
in a different place in their life. So some people might not even relate to what I'm saying, but, um, you know, and for some, I was just overwhelmed Mm. and, um, I'm just like, so pleasantly surprised about the question. I'll be honest, because it's, it's just nice to be asked, how did you feel? Because I don't think people ask that enough to someone, um, yeah veterans right like how not and not how did you feel kind of like in a way of being inquisitive but just really wanting to know because you want to understand uh i mean i i do i i i do have kind of remove the situation sometimes or kind of really look internally right mm-hmm. and kind of look beyond it and kind of understand triggers behind things i think it's very interesting what can I can, can we just keep going down this? We'll come back to the moment, but I can we keep going down this rabbit hole? Wherever, um, however, we want to take this, I am open. <laughs> that's great. Well, I mean, I want it to feel like a therapy session, but why not? <laughs> no. What what were you resenting? What was it like the, the loss and the like of your husband leaving and uh, you know, being alone again, or was you know, or was it you had to worry? you know, for someone's safety and it was hard to focus on kind of your dreams or, you know, what, what was, do you have any idea of like to pinpoint the resentment? Um, I think it was a little bit of all of that. And some of it too was resenting that I didn't have the opportunity to say I'm not okay right now. Like I resented that I always had to be, and, you know, not to go down another rabbit hole, but I feel like it's just this stereotype and message that on top of it, I'm a black woman. So that whole idea of being strong, I felt I resented that as well because I felt like there's times I don't want to be strong for everybody else. I don't want to have to pretend everything's fine when it's not. So, and also some of the things you mentioned, like resenting that, hey, I have to give up part of myself. I've never, I've never been someone who played small or someone who really didn't want to do big things. And I, I, I have to say for a while, I was really lost um, in my career, just in everything, just lost. Just, and even though I was doing stuff, you know, such as raising great men and, and, and other stuff, I still didn't feel like, it just felt like there's so much I, more I can do, but I can't right now. And kind of like my hands were tied. I can totally hear kind of that lack of purpose that you felt like you were able to really build on. And that you, you, saw, you saw a greater life for yourself and you kind of actualize that vision or, or maybe take on those most daring kind of curiosities because of, you know, and, and also you saying that you you had never wanted to play small and you were like finally, you know, you were kind of suffering and making yourself small to help something, you know, to support your husband. That that, had, that probably had to eat at you like every night. I can only imagine that, that voice on your, that, that weight on your shoulder at night that, feels like 400 pounds and just screaming at you. Um, so yeah. So one, I appreciate the vulnerability. And one more question. Yeah. 
And then I'm going to, I'm going to surface this back a bit because I think, you know, understanding how you dealt with this and then how it's propelled you since I think is really interesting. As a kid, did you ever have like any events in your life where like people were left to you or like parents or siblings and created this like trigger around loss? So when your husband was deployed, it kind of, kind of actuated past events. Interesting. Um, I would say the the one thing I would say is my brother going away to college and then moving away from home. I mean, we're five years apart. And so I think that I remember vividly because I was probably in seventh grade, Mm -hmm. um, how it changed me and how I felt like, oh, my gosh, um, this was the person my brother and I are very close and this is the person that, that I just look up to and I, I just want to be around. And so having him go away to college was, it was difficult. I don't know if it triggered or if it was the same. Actually. Yeah. I'm trying to think I, you know what It, it was because I felt like I had to, be strong for my mom because now, you know, her son's gone away. So I, I guess that was the part that is similar. Like this, this idea that you have to hold it together for those around you, because if not, then they can't be their best and they can't deal with this emotionally and mentally. So when I think about like my kids and I think about you know, like his parents and, and stuff like that, just kind of, okay, you got to be the one that makes it all feel like it's, you got it, you know, you're handling it and you're making sure everybody's yeah. okay. Your relationship with your brother was important or was, sounds like it was very close. Was there a reason behind that? I mean, I think it's just his personality was just, is just like so dynamic. And I feel like Still today, he's the only person in the world who gets me. Mm. (laughs) So, um, and accepts me Mm. in that sense. So I, I, that I, you know, I think that's what it it stems from is like, he's this person that, that gets me with uh, good and bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so important, right? Where you can kind of show up naked and you can have someone like just fully accept you for who you are. And, you know, that's, that's hard to find. That's rare. And, uh, and call you out. And call you out too, because he will call me out on my stuff, which I appreciate. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> I can see how, you know, maybe the connection points here and, and how that made you feel and, you know, being your husband and how that made you feel as well. Marie, how did you, how did you go about handling this? You clearly had a resentment. Five deployments is a lot. You felt like you could do more with your life, you had more potential to, you know, actualize yet you weren't. What were your next steps? How did you go? Like, what did you do to not fix this, but maybe have the hard conversations, understand what you were feeling and, and then go stand up for it to, you know, ideally go make the changes that you seems like you have just curious how you, you started to slowly resolve this. Honestly, I don't think I resolved it till he retired because I think during that time, it was just so hard to, you know, and I'm not, it's not just, 
it wasn't just the deployment. It was also me. You know, it's hard when you want to find your way in the world, right? Uh, people make it seem like it's easy to figure out and not for everyone. Everyone has a different. And for me, it was, I wanted impact. Social impact has always been something I care about. And I just always wanted to see how can I do this better and make it bigger and, and help more. And, but I always felt like I can't right now. I cannot take, I can't add any more to my plate because it would just, I would just drown. So I have to do, you know, the work that doesn't require as much of me emotionally. So, yeah, I think it wasn't till he retired that I felt like, okay, um, I think it's my turn now. <laughs> yeah. So, so you waited probably what, 10, almost 10 years? Ooh, it was well longer than that. Um, 15. Wow. Wow. That was so hard on you to keep all that in for so long. And so when you, when you had the chance to speak up after all this time and talk to your husband, I mean, what, what did you say? How did he receive it? You know, I never really did because I felt that would be selfish to do because he's had to give up more than I did. And I think that goes along the same thing, as I said before, is that you you have to really play second and know that. Um, and even now, even though he's retired and I, and I doesn't have to deploy so I can do more, I still, I can't say that anything I went through is less than what he did because he missed out on birthdays and he missed out on pivotal life moments. So I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That would have been really unfair to say, you know, but I said it to myself that, okay, now it's my turn. I did say that to myself, but to have that heart to heart would have been hard for him and unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's it's like a no win to no win situation in a sense, you know, (laughs) he was, he was putting his life on the line for the country. You were, you were you raising you were raising kids during this time. Yeah, you were raising kids, and you know, and then trying to figure out who you were, and in, in a way as well, uh, and how, where you could show up in the world as your full self. So, it sound yeah. doesn't sound like an easy position for anyone, but one that I'm sure created tremendous learning through a lot of ambiguity, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. You know, Marie, I think you have um, a very interesting career. It seems like you are actualizing some of this potential that you felt you could never maybe act on prior. And I'd be curious too, in other ways in your life where this potential is maybe finally speaking and shining through. After your husband came back permanently and retired, when you said it's my turn now, what were your next steps? Like what, what, where, where did you start applying your efforts to where you couldn't apply before? I think that's when I was just like, <laughs> it's so funny. I feel like um, it's interesting. Cause I, that's when I was like, okay, what can I do? Like what, what's next for me? And, and um, was so excited. And that's when I did meet Barika, who's my co-founder. And now I, I felt like, oh, 
this is so awesome because we're building something for a community I understand to mm-hmm. some degree, right? Because I, I won't understand every situation, but I understand, especially from a military spouse's perspective, wanting to find something that is meaningful and work that's fulfilling and being able to create something that helps them to do an internship was so, it was so exciting because I felt like I resonated with that need and wanted to see others be able to do things maybe that I wasn't able to do. I have to say half of it was me too. Like I have to admit that emotionally and mentally, I wasn't in the, in the place to, to do anything because I just felt overwhelmed. But yeah, I think that's what got me like, okay, let's do this. Let's make this happen. This is exciting. And um, really immersing in the community and saying, what can we do to make a difference and get people employed, especially when they transition out of the military? So that really, that was my spark and that was my guiding light, right? To make me feel like, okay, you can do things. You can, you know, this is your time and you can do it and you can find purpose in helping others. I bet meeting Burt's Burika, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was so liberating because you guys share shared dreams and shared desires for the world and could could cultivate something that embodied who you were as individuals. Yes. And then work to help a community that you were a part of and that you could go help others who maybe were wanting your shoes, I'd say, to navigate you know, some of the challenges that were throwing your way and do something one, extremely fulfilling. Tell me, tell us <laughs> what that has kind of evolved into and how you are kind of fulfilling your your boldish dreams right now. Yeah, I think for me, one thing was it got me out of my comfort zone, right? Because I was so used to not being the person who's out in front doing things. And I think that's why we worked so well together. Verika really kind of, we it fit. We were just the right, we had different um, ways of thinking. And, but yet it worked because whereas I sometimes would have like these big, um, I would say, I would look at long-term and, and just be so creative. And she was really good at kind of drawing me back in and being realistic and saying, let's stay focused, right? Because I was so excited. And I think we created something that, although it wasn't as successful as we'd like it to be, and um, it still was, it made impact, right? And it changed us and it helped us to really see what, we're capable of doing and how we're capable of creating change for others. And so I think that really kind of helped me to, to, you know, to have a startup now because it just made me become a better risk taker. Mm. Makes 
so much sense. And it seems like that you are finding yourself, you're being able to kind of find yourself a bit through taking on this journey. Like you've been able to sprinkle every layer and inch of who you are into this creation in just a way you haven't before. Is, am I hearing you right on that? Yeah, exactly. You're great at this. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have a sixth sense today and it's, uh, I, I don't know what's leading to it, but um, it's really interesting just to hear how you're talking. It's just, I'm tracking with you in a lot of ways right now. And so it's, uh, it's great to hear you just speak so candidly. It, it makes this possible. You know, if I could help somebody by just being vulnerable, I think we don't, it was not, it's not something that is acceptable as much in society, right? Like you always have to be, I feel like you always have to be on and you always have to be, know what you're talking about and show your true leadership skills, but it's in being vulnerable that you're able to even do that. Yeah. I feel like this is so normalized, but it's not when you're vulnerable. It really does create that connection with people. And, um, it's hard. It's hard to do. It's not easy work to confront the things that scare you. Even if we think we're good at it, there's areas where we're not for sure. And it's, uh, it's always a balancing act of, (laughs) of what we should divulge and not, uh, and why, and with who, and, you know, and where, where is it safe? So, you know, I get where you're coming from. Um, sometimes I feel like an old soul. So maybe I'm just better at, not that I'm saying, like an older mind. So I just feel like I can connect with adults more than myself, older, you know, older than myself at 28. So I, I'm, we're tracking for a reason. So um, <laughs> Marie, um, so let's talk more about the company that you started. I mean, like in a nutshell, you know, tell us like the impact you're having and what you're doing every day and how it's aligning to, kind of making up for lost time in your past and helping that community that you you love so deeply and you were you know once a part of and now really serving. Yeah, so what we're doing now is it's interesting is taking everything that I learned, the good and and the bad and the I won't say the bad, the good and the opportunities because they all were opportunities for me to learn. And really being able to bring it to what we're doing now, it's been, it's, it's a journey, right? And, I, and I'm still learning. And, I'm, and I think the thing that makes me, I think the thing that makes me feel proud is that I'm able to keep myself out of it, right? Because it's so easy to be so immersed in something and feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm making this great for others. And it's not about you. And so I think that's what makes it exciting for me that I, I remember it's not about me. It's about the people that I meet that, you know, want to get into the tech industry and are often overlooked or undervalued, I should say. It becomes their story because it's not my story, right? Um, my story is just having the foundation of, of the startup, but it's their story that that matters. And it's their stories that unfortunately aren't being heard or they feel like they're not being listened to or people don't see them. So bringing visibility to people who want to be in tech, but don't have um, a professional network to help them get there, or they feel that um, they're overlooked because they went to a boot camp and not an Ivy league school and got a computer science degree. So 
I think that's what's the the best part of um, being part of esteem. And even the name, like holding yourself in highest esteem, right? Like recognizing that who you are um, is important. No, no doubt. And I mean, probably even goes back to when you were kind of quieting yourself in certain ways. It, it probably you probably held, probably was hard to hold yourself in high esteem just because mm-hmm. you know you weren't able to kind of breathe out fully who you were and and so now giving military people in this community a platform to one share their story and get to know them and get to know them for who they are and what they're navigating in their life and have that opportunity to place them to kind of live out their full selves i mean there there has to be a lot of shared camaraderie and connection points helping people who kind of, who, who aren't, weren't part of the Ivy league schools, who weren't part of privilege growing up um, and being able to really help elevate them in a way that they never thought possible. Exactly. And, um, and so one of the things I want to make sure I, is that we, it's not just the military community. It's just a community of people who, um, again, the diversity, when we use the word diversity, I feel like it's it's just throwing a group of people together and not really thinking and seeing them individually. So I like to say the, the intersectionality of it, right? Because you could be a veteran, but also be um, a Latina who um, happens to be a mom. So there's all these different uh, roles that you play in your life, right? Um, and so being mindful of that and, and, and keeping that in mind when people are looking for jobs is, is really important, um, especially when they feel that no one cares about, about them and all the work that they've put in to even get into tech, right? I mean, we forget boot camps are not cheap, right? Right, yeah. Um, and and sometimes somebody had like a really great career. Maybe they were an educator or something and they decided I want to become a software developer and, and taking that risk. There's something I can relate to, like really taking this risk, but then to be denied access or to be denied the opportunity to show what you can do. It, that's crushing. Right. It's crushing too. Um, be, you know, when they don't have the traditional means to, enter in that workforce you're 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 paving the pathway for them to have opportunities that would never come in front of them uh and that's that's powerful and you can kind of be that powerful voice on their behalf and create that and 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 that's just you're truly creating better opportunities for people question that i have for you is you know Yes, boot camps are expensive, and yes, you know you are helping place people. But you know, if I've learned anything in my career as a, you know, I would say privileged in a way, right? I'm white and white male, but you know, I'm learning about we're doing a lot of diversity work here at BW Missions, and but you know, I recognize the privilege. However, if I've learned anything, I would, I would not be where I am you know, or this far along, I would say in a short period, if it wasn't for perseverance and relationship building skills and trying to make my own way and believing in myself, 
with your program, how much are you helping these people not just, you know, find jobs to be placed in, but navigate and build relational skills and networking skills and skills of resilience to push past rejections, you know, because that's all part of this process of finding a you know job that you can belong in. Mm-hmm. And how much is of your work is helping people understand how to show up and, and have that, you know, EQ and, you know, the conversational skills to really be impressionable. Uh, I'm just curious how that is part of your training, if at all, because I think it's just so important. Sure, yeah, we do um, monthly lunch and learn leadership workshops. But I think what's interesting is it's simple things that we do that people actually it's them that they do the work. It's, you know, for example, um, organizing a hackathon, uh, we're putting it together and we are helping people with kind of like the challenges and giving them some information around um, what the the topic is, but it they show up, right? And they start to really see that their confidence starts to build because they're seeing themselves take um, leadership as far as maybe leading a team or even coming to a hack night or, or doing something that is so out of the norm of what they would do, mm. you know? So it's really them that start to have this confidence and no matter what tools or resources we provide, whether it's a lunch and learn, what whether it's a, um, a game night, we have, you know, uh, an outliers in tech community, um, a Slack group, we can have all of that, but it's really kind of what you said, it's that perseverance, that motivation. It's them that they do the work. So I can't even say that, hey, you know what we're doing? Yeah, we're, we're, we're organizing these things, but the people that show up for it, they're the ones that are really putting in the work and start to, you start to see them flourish because they start to believe in themselves. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's so, I mean, that's just so special, Marie. You know, you're creating this platform and this community. I mean, this enriched community for not just for jobs, but for people to show up to, be a part of, bring in events. It's just, it's also just so neat. It's such a, it's the work is so honest to who you are at your own core, you know, and it's so visible. It's, you don't even have to say it. It's just a representation of you. And yeah, it's very empowering uh, to listen to you talk about your journey. Murray, what, what is, what's your vision for this? Where, where do you see esteem going? And someone said to me the other day, and I don't, I, he really is challenging me to dig deep, but he said, I'm going to return the question to you. He said, okay, if you achieve your vision, and he said vision as us having an outcome. He's like, if you achieve your outcome, he's like, what's the impact? Like he said, Andrew Carnegie wanted to put a school in every city. So the impact he had, while you may not be able to measure it, it was exponential because of the way it was able to educate the United States. And so, you know, that really got me thinking like, okay, like, what's the big meaning behind all this work anyways? Like, so what if you hit all your numbers, achieve all your outcomes and and help X amount of people? Like, what's the deeper meaning behind everything? So what? And so my question to you is like, one, what's your vision? Mm -hmm. If you achieve it, like, why is the world a better place? 
Oh, I love that. Um, it's interesting. I would say it's that to reframe this idea of imposter syndrome in tech and help people to realize that they're really outliers in tech. And what that means is they're the ones that they're creative and they're thinking and they are building solutions and they don't necessarily fit into the norm of what the tech industry looks like. And so if I can get people to see themselves as outliers rather than as people who are struggling with imposter syndrome and we reframe that and, and stop using that term, then I would feel that I've made some impact. And the impact would be to really get away from using terms and kind of um, ideas that, that limit us. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm not going to even and talk back to that because I don't think it, I, I, there's a response that, you know, is there anything else you wanted to add on that before we move on? I, I just I wanted to let that rest. No, I think that's it. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I really think about that. So special. And you're doing it. And I, and I have no doubt you will continue on this journey and that you're meant to be doing. It's so intrinsically aligned. And it's been such a special time interviewing you today, Marie. And Thank you. I've enjoyed this. Yeah. And just you talking about you know, your husband's departures and how it's clearly shaped and molded you and giving you a such a deeper meaning for life. And just, yeah, I uh, was really inspired by your background. I, I wanted to ask if people want to listen to this who don't know you uh, and they wanted to find you, reach out to you, ask you any questions, where, where, where do they reach out? How do they get in front of you? Sure. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me Marie Roker Jones. I'm on Twitter and it's Marie R-O-K Jones. Um, and most social media is going to be Marie Roker Jones. And on Esteem, it's Esteem and it's E-S-S-T-E-E-M.com. And um, I'm always happy to have conversations with people and, and network as long as it's meaningful and it's not just about how what we can get from each other, but really how can we really create impact in different ways? Doesn't necessarily have to be what I'm doing, but always happy to have conversations. And and thank you, Brian, for being such a wonderful host and asking these thoughtful questions. And I appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate you showing up as you and you made my job easy by uh, just being yourself. So uh, thank you for that. I was really intrigued. Yeah, thank you. This is just cool. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.